Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast, where we promote, educate, inspire, and entertain creators of all things related to fantasy and science fiction. Hi, this is Carson with Troy, and I have with me William Hastings, who is a, uh, a fantasy YA author. Um, William, will you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your books? Thanks, Carson. Glad to be here. Um, my name is William. I write YA fantasy novels, uh, specifically dark fantasy novels, um, uh, coming of age, uh, epic series called Vagabond Legacy. The first installment, The Crimson Spark, is now available both on Amazon uh, and on Audible, read by uh, anime superstar Vic Mignogna. It's a wonderful production. I hope you all check it out. Fantastic. Um, where did the genesis of this novel come from? Well, the series, I guess. Yes, uh, this series uh, actually began production about 10 years ago. I've, I've been working on it for a very, very long time. Uh, it's intended to be eight books. Oh, wow. Uh, the second of which is wrapping up completion right now. Um, they are fantasy novels that explore coming of age in a very dark uh, and difficult setting, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with trauma and mental illness and uh, rising above it. And it's, it's about the effects of abuse on the developing mind and how that affects a character and that sort of thing. It comes a lot from, from my work uh, outside of writing and I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud to be a part of it. So these are very deep subjects that I think a lot of teens go through. This is this is a lot different than, you know, you're you're designed to be a prince or something, and and we're going to get that heritage. How did you come up with this subject? Um, well, you know, it starts with uh, a character. I didn't start with anything other than a character, mm-hmm. and everything sort of formed around that character. Um, he's the protagonist, and he is—he's um, a troubled boy with a with a complicated history. And the whole draw of the plot is to see him grow and change and become a hero. Okay, so <clears throat> when you started with this character, did you did you just pop in your mind and you go, okay, like I need to sit down and kind of write his story, and you just sat down, or did you have it's different? Almost elements? exactly what happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's almost exactly what happened. I had a I had a, a character in mind and a location in mind. Not a not a setting, but a, but a specific location. I had an idea for this boy uh, who was on a ship, going to a place he didn't understand, and it became it became this this monster of an idea that I've been working on for for the better part of uh, half of my life now. So you said there's going to be eight books. Do you now have like an outline of things that are going to happen, or do you just have guideposts? Yes, yes, they they they've all been they've all been outlined. They're all they're all planned out. A lot of the covers are finished. Um, it's just a question of uh, getting them done. You know, um, I recently had another book uh, launch on Indiegogo. It was a very it was a wonderful success, and that's going to be coming out later this year. Uh, I had to put Vagabond Legacy on the shelf uh, until that was ready. Uh, but hopefully, when that's done, when that ships, which should be sometime in in June, uh, I'll be able to get back to it. Okay. So what are your writing habits? My writing habits are uh, honestly all over the place. I write whenever uh, I can. Uh, I keep a, I have a very busy job, so mm-hmm. I, I try to, to write whenever possible. I'll write by hand uh, and then transcribe it later. I'll write on the backs of post-it notes and things like that, whatever I can get my hands on, uh, just to get those ideas on paper. Okay. The actual sitting down and writing the book process is, is much more uh, planned than that. I try, I try to do that at least once a day. And when you're doing that, do you have like a specific like word count goal or just, okay, I have all these pieces of notes that I have. I need to get it all in like a coherent story. I try to do about 2000 words a day. 
that's quite a bit yeah um you know it's i don't always meet that but that's that's the dream because that's about how long my chapters are okay they're not super long they're digestible uh written with a young audience in mind so they they go very quickly okay and then as you're kind of putting together and piecing together all these notes that you've kind of put down throughout the day how do you sift through like the good ideas the bad ones or do you are you able to use them all well, I try to use them all. Thankfully, I have a wonderful editor uh, who, who tells me uh, exactly when, when the ideas are not as good as I seem to think they are. <laughs> um, her name is, is, is Kat Rocha. She's done an amazing job on The Crimson Spark, and I look forward to working with her throughout uh, Vagabond Legacy. Okay, and then the, the second book, The Opal Empire, is that coming out soon? Uh, the Opal Embers is going Embers, to come sorry. out. Is, that's okay. The Opal Embers is... Uh, the draft that I finished most recently, I would call penultimate. It's almost finished. It's missing one or two details. I'm not quite happy with uh, the quality of it just yet. I want it to be polished. I want it to be ready because I, you know, I have people telling me that they really enjoyed Spark and they found that the the characters and the setting and the world were all very engaging. And it's very important to me that Opal Embers be better than the Crimson Spark. Okay, so let's talk about editing. Like, how many times have you had to gone through the Opal Embers? Uh, the Opal Embers is is on its uh, fourth draft, I believe. Crimson Spark went through eight. Okay. Yeah, uh, one of those was with an editor. Most of them were just changes in myself growing up, uh, <laughs> learning what worked and what didn't. Mm-hmm. And Embers, uh, Embers dramatically has. Uh, I, I, sorry, Spark changed a lot more dramatically than Embers has. I've always sort of had an idea of where Embers starts and finishes what happens along the way. I didn't just start with a character like I did for Spark. Uh, although um, Embers has most recently undergone a very big change, and I'm looking forward to, to bringing that to life in the next draft. Has that changed how the series is going to go forward with the other six books planned? Uh, not yet, no. This has changed just just this one. Okay. Um, thankfully, I, I I would be very cool if it did change later on down the line. But for now, I think it's just going to be a change that affects Embers. Okay. I've talked about continuity um, with other authors that have like eight or nine or ten books, and and sometimes that can be a challenge to balance. So I'm looking forward to seeing how you are able to handle that. Well, thank you. Um, unlike a lot of other YA novels, uh, The Crimson Spark is a standalone story. Mm-hmm. Uh, as is the Opal Embers. There isn't a cliffhanger at the end. Okay. Um, you're getting a full adventure uh, with a beginning, middle, and end. Uh, there's not going to be any to-be-continued stuff. The Opal Embers, likewise, is going to be a contained adventure. Uh, and each book is going to be the these new stories that have these characters and new developments that they have to face over the course of their lives. Okay. So that's good. So why did you decide to write um, in the speculative fiction genre? I, I can't imagine writing in any other genre. Uh, <laughs> I think that uh, writing uses the imagination on such a primal level that going all out with it is is just a waste of time. You know, I mean, not sorry, not going all out with it is just a waste of time. I think that uh, if you're going to make something up, you better make something up that's that's fantastical and amazing and that inspires people because your imagination is the greatest uh, the greatest tool you could ever use. True. Um... And sometimes for me, like when people ask me, like, why do I like fantasy or science fiction or whatever? Like for me, it's always a palate cleanser. So I like to get get in some other world to to help me out. I think it's a great release. I Yeah, I agree with you. I think escapism uh, 
is something of a lost uh, art form at this point. I think that the idea of, of disappearing from the troubles of the world into a, into a story where other characters are experiencing their own uh, adventures for you to, to enjoy is, is something everybody needs in, in times like we live in. No, I agree. And I also think that no matter what you read, but particularly in fantasy and science fiction, a lot of times it's come overcoming obstacles and sometimes it clears your head and you can see clearly your own obstacles and you can take away from different, uh, take away tips and strengths from different characters. Yeah. Yeah. The human experience translates to fantasy, just like uh, every other genre, even more so. I think sometimes um, Lloyd Alexander, one of my favorite writers, uh, he once said that uh, fantasy is, is a means of understanding reality. Right. And that's so important to, to be able to understand yourself. Yeah, definitely. And that's a lot of what the, the plot of the Crimson Spark is about. It's about understanding yourself in a world that doesn't always make sense. What are some of the things and challenges that you didn't expect when you sat down and like, okay, I want to write a story? I didn't think it was going to be as important to me as it wound up being. You know, I find it to be the most fulfilling thing I do. It's it's something I I I want to continue doing for the rest of my life. I wasn't expecting to to go beyond what I started out with, and I, I sort of expected this to be maybe just a one time thing, something I needed to do. But it became uh, an obsession, and I'm very happy about that. Interesting. So you didn't come out and be like, okay, I want to do be a writer for the rest of my life at the beginning. I think I always wanted to be a creator for the rest of my life, but I don't know about a writer. Okay. So what other areas would you create in? Well, I used to, I used to, I used to do all kinds of art and creativity when I was young. And then I drifted to art, to writing, I think, because of the, the potential of it, the unlimited uh, sort of pool of resources that you're working with. You don't have to be contained like you do with other mediums because your reader's imagination doesn't run out of money or resources. So what have been some of your creative influences? Uh, well, Lloyd Alexander is, is the primary influence. I think uh, everything I do is through the lens of what he did. He is, uh, in my opinion, the greatest fantasy author to ever live and underappreciated in uh, our culture, particularly uh, in fantasy culture. No, I agree. I read his books when I was very young um, and, and thoroughly enjoyed him. I think I got into him after The Black Cauldron came out in theaters. And then I realized that that wasn't the first book. And so I went back and, and read the first book and, and carried on. Right. Yeah. I, I, you know, I have young students and they're all really surprised to learn that there's this whole, there's this whole series behind it. But you know, that, that idea of coming of age in a fantasy world, I sort of wanted to take that and do what I was feeling at the time, which was a lot of, a lot of complicated stuff. And the Crimson Spark became this reaction to, to that it became coming of age in a, in a world that is confusing right um you said you've been working out for 10 years did you ever get frustrated and want to give up and i've gotten frustrated but i've never wanted to give up because i i could always sort of see the characters in my mind and i feel like giving up would would rob them of the chance of of being important to somebody because they're very important to me and and i like i i wanted to share them with people and Regardless of whatever obstacles I encounter, I always kept that goal in mind. No, I think this is good because sometimes people have um, an idea or a story they want to write and it, it, it takes a while and they don't understand that sometimes it does. 
and you know to keep pressing forward the only the only way for him to for you to be not uh to not be successful is for you to stop and i think a lot of people stop right, right. before the finish line and it's unfortunate yeah absolutely so as you're you're plotting this first book the crimson spark how long did it take you before you're like okay i need to i need to sit down and plot this uh well i wrote the first draft uh blank like from mm-hmm. nothing uh and as I, as I wrote it, I began to get ideas and I kept them all in this big uh, file folder, which I still have. And it's now got, you know, it's gotten much bigger. It's gotten all the ideas from the other books in there. Uh, and I would incorporate the ideas that I came up with for later in the story as the story went on. Then I did a full rewrite with all the ideas incorporated. And then I did another full rewrite that was uh, transitioning to a different perspective. And then I did another, another rewrite that had uh, both characters' perspectives. And that was the one that eventually wound its way into the hands of the editor. I like this as well because it takes a lot of work to be a writer. And the days are just, well, I think people for sure have a romanticized idea of what a writer is. And it is a lot of hard work. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to simultaneously be, simultaneously be lazy and a writer. <laughs> Uh, which is, which is a pretty accurate description of my own personality. (laughs) So after the book was done, how hard was it to find an editor that was, um, that you felt was competent? Oh, not hard at all. I, I instantly knew that I wanted this editor specifically. It it took a while because I, I did try to go through traditional channels at first. Um, I wanted to, to get it published traditionally. I was sort of living in, in, in 2004 in my head, uh, (laughs) I thought that uh, I thought that that was just the way you did it. Uh, I went through a lot of a lot of agents and a lot of queries and a lot of uh, uh, a lot of mixed feelings before I finally decided to just go independent and just release it myself uh, through Amazon because that was what I saw a lot of uh, great new creators doing, like uh, David Stewart and Adam Smith, and I and I was inspired by them and I decided to do that and I instantly knew that I wanted Cat Rocha to be the editor because she had. Um, she had this YouTube show, show uh, where she would she would give these scathing criticisms of uh, bad comics and movies and uh, fiction, uh, and and I instantly instantly wanted somebody as harsh and as perceptive as she was because I needed Spark to be. It, it couldn't just be good. I needed it to be excellent, and I needed an editor that would tell me when things were terrible for that. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of a lot of editors. Um, will give you a bit more a bit more leeway than you need as mm-hmm. a writer. And thankfully Cat is not one of them. Well, that's good. So, you reached out to her and was she immediately like, "Yeah, I'll look at your stuff?" Yeah, yeah. It was it was it was pretty pretty quick. And then you said you have a audiobook um, narrator and how did you reach out to to him? Well, I grew up listening to uh, Vic Mignogna in shows like Dragon Ball Z and Full Metal Alchemist. Um, I was a big fan of him, always was. Uh, when COVID hit and uh, all the conventions were canceled, I knew that he would have a bit more free time in his schedule. So I, I thought I thought I might as well take the chance and reach out to him. Uh, and working with him has been an incredible pleasure. He's one of the nicest, most genuine people I've encountered. Uh, he's so professional and such a hard worker. And I think that he brought a voice to Spark that even I wasn't quite sure was there. And and if you haven't tried out the audio production of Spark, even if you've read the whole book uh, a thousand times like I have, you can still listen to that audio production and be, be very moved 
by the way he brings these characters to life. It's it's really something else. Nice. Speaking of COVID, um, this year, uh, The Crimson Spark came out in 2019. Is that correct? Yes. How has COVID affected that? Uh, it's given me... Uh, it's given me a lot more time to work on on stuff. Uh, I launched uh, my second novels, Indiegogo, uh, because people were all stuck at home, and uh, I figured fiction was something people would need to to get through all this nonsense. I did a bit of a drive with Spark uh, when COVID first hit, giving copies out to people who needed it because of the lockdown, and I had a very um, a very positive uh, reception to that. A lot of people uh, st- stuck with me even even after. Uh, you know, now that COVID's dying down, even I have a lot of people that remember that and and stayed as a part of my audience, and I, I'm very grateful to them. Uh, but my my second novel was planned uh, to be the Opal Empress, and because of COVID, I decided to um, because of COVID and uh, some some issues in the life of some of the staff of the people I work with, uh, I, I I wound up not being able to do spar uh, do Embers for another year. So I went with uh, this other idea, which was VCW, and I'm, I'm very happy with the response that's gotten. Nice. I know that some indie authors depend and rely not only on Amazon, but on con- going to conventions and stuff, so, and that kind of all shut down. So I was just wondering if that affected you at all. Um, not really. I don't usually go to conventions. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not an especially um, social person at the best of times. <laughs> Uh, I like to just make the books and put them out there. Obviously, I'll answer any questions or talk to anybody who, who reaches out to me. But the idea of going to a convention just never appealed to me. I think it's partially being uh, a bit of a germaphobe. Um, how have you been able to stay current on marketing um, on Amazon? Well, um, I actually don't use Amazon's uh, advertisement service. I use Facebook's, and I find that the returns on that are a lot more reliable. Okay. Because uh, because with an Amazon ad, people will see it, but you don't, and sometimes they'll click on it, but you don't really have that interaction. If you share something uh, as an ad on on Facebook and uh, Instagram, people can reply in the comments, they can like, they can message you personally, and you can reply to them, which I think creates this. Um, it breaks down this barrier between the creator and the the art that I think is is something that a lot of mediums need to do to adjust to the way independent fiction is now being released. So is that just something you came up with or was it um, something you read or heard about that people were doing? You know, there's, there's a lot of uh, really creative and talented uh, indie authors on social media that sort of spitball the ideas of what works and what doesn't off of each other. Um, I can't remember if it was uh, one of them that, that gave me the idea or if it was from one of the Facebook groups I'm in or something like that, but uh, it's definitely worked and I'm very grateful. Nice. So do you have any tips on how you stay balanced in your life when you're juggling work and writing and everything like that? Uh, it's good. If, it's good if you have a job that gives you a lot of time to, to work on personal projects for sure. Uh, <laughs> thankfully I'm a, I'm a teacher, so I have summers uh, to, to write basically. So do you try to get you the bulk of your writing during that time? I do. I do. Yeah. And then what do you do the rest of the year? Is that more spent on the editing, editing. and the marketing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I try to write the drafts over the summer and then uh, edit them and release them over the year. Unfortunately, you know, finding employment during all this stuff has been kind of crazy. And they, it delayed VCW to a point that I'm I'm obviously uh, disappointed that I couldn't release it. To uh, It was supposed to come out in March. I'm, again, very sorry to all the backers. 
but I'm looking forward to delivering it to them and I hope it's going to be uh, something that they enjoy. Nice. Um, do you have any current authors that you read that you like that you yes, kind of influence yes. you? Yes, a lot of a lot of them. Uh, Christopher Rocchio in particular has been a huge influence in me, not just in his writing, but in his uh, the way he deals with customers and fans. He is uh, a science fiction author. He wrote Empire of Silence, Howling Dark, Demon in White, uh, Lesser Devil. He, he's um, he's an incredible author, and he's also a very, very, very outgoing person, very eager to help uh, new creators and great with uh, his fans and customers. And I learned a lot of what I do from, from the way he behaves. And Adam Smith is another person. Adam Smith uh, wrote uh, Maxwell Kane Burrito Avenger, and he writes the Dios of All Sway, uh, Wastelander series. His, um, his work and his attitude towards writing as, uh, as escapism and an antidote to mental illness also influenced me quite a lot. Nice. Um, is there any resources that you'd recommend to new writers? Um, YouTube, definitely. YouTube? Anyone in yeah, particular? There are, there are, yes. Um, Christopher Rocchio is obviously one of them. Adam Smith has a YouTube channel. David Stewart, uh, David V. Stewart, the author of Voices of the Void, Eyes in the Walls, and the, um, the Needle Ash books, it has a YouTube, has a huge YouTube channel where he gives uh, his advice on and his, his techniques on, on writing and on marketing. And his his sort of crash course in being an indie author, and I would say that's almost mandatory watching for anybody who wants to publish independently these days. Oh, fantastic! <clears throat> Do you have any t- tips or tricks? Tips or tricks? Um, don't be afraid to do anything that you think might be met with a mixed response. Don't talk down to your readers they they came with you on this they're ready for whatever you can throw at them and the people and and i would also say that um people need to look at writing more as a service industry Mm -hmm. um you know when we write we are and we publish ourselves we're marketing to customers and like every service industry the customer is always right Mm -hmm. Uh, custom customer feedback is incredibly important and if you stop listening to the customer, uh, like I think a lot of mainstream corporations are doing, then you lose that that incur- that enthusiasm, that that groundswell of of fan interest, and they'll go find something else. So keeping and maintaining a, a loyal audience has to do with trusting and respecting the fans. Nice. So being an independent author, you're in control of every aspect of what goes on in your production, basically. That would be nice. Um, what do you, do you, are you not totally involved? Uh, no, I'm. I'm not. I, I mean, even when you're in charge of of the story, as as much as you might like to think you're in charge of the story, your characters can still surprise you. Oh no, I, I agree with that. I totally agree with that. But you are in charge of you know making sure a book comes out and making sure. Your cover oh yeah, art. The, the marketing shit. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, you know you have cover art that you have to do. You have editing, audio production. Um, you know, you, you have to take control of all of that. Um, have you find, mm-hmm. found that challenging? Like, how did you find a cover um, artist? You know, it's not as challenging as people might think. I think a lot of writers are intimidated by it because when you, when you don't go through the traditional channels, when you publish independently, all of a sudden you're not just the writer, you're also the, the lead marketing person, you're the social media personalities, you're doing all this stuff uh, on top of it. Uh, but that's really necessary right now. 
in the way that uh, media is, in the way that social media is. And I, and I would say that if you're just out there and you're yourself, you're genuine, then you don't, you don't need to worry about anything because it, it, become, it comes naturally. I actually like that a lot. Like you, you kind of took the fear out of people, you know, to be able to, to be themselves and to just kind of sit down and enjoy the process um, I th- and, and be comfortable. Um, I think people would um, like to hear that advice. So, so thank you for that. Oh, it's my pleasure. I think, I think uh, customers respect when people are genuine with them always mm-hmm. and they can tell when people are not being genuine with them. And I think that is, that's another thing about, about, readers that's so wonderful is that they can they they are the deciding factor you know they're the makers or breakers in the industry so true so your editor you reached out to you had one in mind and you reached out to her and 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 she picked up your book and then your narrator for your audible book or for your audio book reached out to him he said yes how did you go about finding the artist for your covers because they are fantastic oh well thank you i am very proud of the covers the cover artist of my books uh it's an artist from the Philippines named uh, Jesse, and he is so talented. I love working with him. Um, he, I, I found him through, actually, I did a contest of uh, trying to find a cover that fit, best fit the story. I put the idea out there, and I had a bunch of different uh, creativity firms, if you, I guess you could call them, mm-hmm. submit ideas. And his was just the one that, that spoke to me the most, and so I've had him do the whole series. Nice. I mean, that that silhouette of the two um, young teens with the hand underneath reaching out to him. Like that just looks awesome. There's a, yeah, there's a, a sense of wonder to it and there's a sense of dread and that is the Crimson Spark. So I'm, yeah. I'm very grateful to him. And then the Opal Embers just look fantastic with that dragon and the, you know, the four characters. Yeah. Scene. And and I got to tell you, they, they just keep getting better and better. They're, they're each, each cover is more dynamic and engaging than the last one. So was it hard to, to pick him or did he just rise above the rest? No, instantly rose above the rest. I was kind of pussyfooting around it a little bit, and uh, I have a, I had a friend of mine that says, "Yeah, I think you've already made your decision. Um, the one you keep showing to people is is probably the one that you're going to go with." And and I and he was right. He was absolutely right. Fantastic. Yeah, they're beautiful. So you chose right. <laughs> yeah, thank but you. you already know that. <laughs> um, do you have any other like sort of geeky hobby that um, influenced the way you write or influenced stories? Oh yeah. I love, um, I love gaming and I love anime. I love professional wrestling. Those are all huge influences on, on my writing. It's obviously the wrestling one because the, you know, my second book VCW is about wrestling. It's a, it's a fantasy book about wrestling. And there aren't a lot, there are not a whole lot of those. Uh, that's where I sort of channeled a lot of the, the interest I have in that subject. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm going to reach out to some professional wrestlers and see if they'll, they'll get on with me because they have a very unique way of storytelling. Like a match, a wrestling match is a story in itself. Absolutely. And, and I love it. And it, it is a, it's a very unique form of uh, storytelling and of art. It's, it's a performance art piece in a lot of ways. And I think that it takes a lot of skill and a lot of dedication and it's underappreciated. Right. And when I was growing up in the eighties, Sting was my favorite wrestler. And oh, we've got that in common then. <laughs> and I always hated it because Ric Flair was always the champion. You know, that bad guy was always mm-hmm. the champion. And I remember watching Sting when he won at Great American Bash and he won. And like such the, the thrill that you had when he won, it, it was so fantastic. And I was always mad as a little kid, like, well, I hate Ric Flair. Like, why is he the champion? But now as I'm older and want to be a storyteller, I look back and be like, well, that's why people hated him. And it's made such good conflict. 
Yeah, and I think that that is uh, something a lot of writers can can benefit and learn from. The whole idea of, of putting someone over as a villain um, and having them be dominant and overpowering, being this huge obstacle that the hero has to overcome is something that's sort of fallen by the wayside in a lot of modern storytelling. And I think it's something that wrestling does very well and, and we could learn a thing or two from it. For sure, yeah. I mean, watching Ric Flair, he would win by any means possible and... Mm-hmm you know, lie way still is and cheat his way into the championship. And so, and that was, you know, that was what, the, that was what made that such a great rivalry is you had this, this sort of backhanded sneaky guy. And then you had sting who was this all American hero, always do the right thing. And when he finally overcomes that huge obstacle, you feel like you were on that journey with him. Oh yeah. No. And they, they do a really good job. And that's why I think that's why I want to interview like professional wrestlers because because of that storytelling um but not only that you know all the outside ring promotion and 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 all that but inside the match itself like it ebbs and flows and the bad guy's gonna win oh no the good guy's gonna win so Mm -hmm. it's it's a fantastic way yeah no there's even there's the best matches have the you know the three-act structure it's 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 storytelling on on a primal level and I i think that's what draws creative people writers artists to, to enjoying it as a medium. And I would recommend it to anybody who is sort of still working out uh, basic storytelling structure, things like that. Um, it, it's a great little guide yeah, to that. Yeah, sure. And if you could look behind me, I mean, you can't see me, but I got Sting figurines. I got, I got Ultimate Warrior. I got Lex Luger. I got the Steiner Bros. Very cool, My, very cool. I, yeah, I was a huge WCW fan growing up. I... <clears throat> I wasn't a big WWF fan at that time. That's what it was called. And they had good characters. I mean, you had Hogan, but he was the good guy, and he always had the championship. So I didn't think it had – yeah. And he always won. Yeah, exactly, and that's not interesting. You know, when the Ultimate Warrior came along and they met at – oh, I was – yeah, WrestleMania 6. I think I was 12 at the time, maybe maybe a little younger. But when you had two good guys coming at it and – you thought, well, maybe Hulk Hogan's the bad guy. Like, I thought that was very good storytelling on their part. But that didn't last very long. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Yeah, um, I, I uh, wasn't actually born <laughs> when WrestleMania six happened. But, uh, I, I, you know, I, I when I discovered that I liked wrestling, I went back and I watched everything, WWF and WCW. And I, I was very attached to a lot of the, the storytelling aspects. And I think that one of the reasons uh, Spark turned out as well as it did was that I had discovered... Uh, sort of the master class in in understanding dynamics between characters and uh, writing scenes uh, in in that that ultimate cheat sheet that is professional wrestling. Yeah, for sure. And that's another thing is they do such a good job developing characters and creating characters. Mm-hmm. And, and what's amazing about it is that it's not uh, it's not driven by a singular creative figure. You know, the the people who are wrestling they are the people who are defining their characters. They're the ones giving the promos and, and deciding how they react to every new, uh, new conflict. And it, and it's very dynamic and uh, changing because of that. And, and I think in like, in that regard, it's not really like a lot of other mediums. True. And they have very, very interesting character development. Like let's go. Let's go back to Sting. Like he was the surfer boy with the face paint, and then when the NWO and then, hit, and then the NWO shows up, yeah, and, and he just he transforms. Changed. Yeah, that is one of that is about my favorite story. I think 
uh, one of my favorite stories in all of wrestling is Sting, Sting's sort of fall and his his return from the shadows. I think that that is so classic and well told. Even though it ended sort of poorly, I think that it was it was probably one of the most influential things I've ever seen in wrestling. Yeah. Well, the whole NWO storyline was fantastic, I thought. Yeah, really, really great. You said you're a gamer. What do you like to play? Um, well, I like to play things with stories, obviously. Um, really good stories are a huge selling point to me. I'm a big fan of uh, Yoko Taro's games. I'm a big fan of uh, Swery, of Kojima, Suda51. Um, and in terms of Western stuff, I like uh, I like the epic stuff. You know, I like Halo. Mm-hmm. I like Fallout, that sort of thing. Skyrim. So it kind of sounds like you've had a very, um, the Asian culture has kind of influenced you a lot. Oh yeah, absolutely. Both, uh, Japanese games and, uh, Japanese, uh, television and Japanese books have all been really big influences on the Crimson Spark and its aesthetic and the way that it, it, it's structured. And that was one of the reasons I thought that, uh, Vic Mignogna would make such a great narrator is he has a, an intimate knowledge of, of the anime, uh, format. And I thought that he would do a really good job. So do you have any recommendations? Like if somebody is like, I want to learn storytelling, but I want to look at through it through a, like an Eastern perspective. Do you have any recommendations for that? Yeah. Yeah. I would say start, start simple, start with, you know, shonen manga because it it's doesn't get, it doesn't get any more simple than that. And it, and it, that has been around and that has been successful for so many years because it works and it's engaging and it appeals to a very large audience and there's something about it that that clicks with people even in the west you know I, I grew up during the 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 boom of you know all these japanese animes coming over to the united states and it had a big influence on how i am as a writer no i agree like full metal alchemist i think if you want to learn magic and magic systems i think that's a great place to start about that mm-hmm. the world building in full metal alchemist is exceptional i would definitely recommend that to anybody and if you watch it in english it stars mr vic mignana <laughs> nice Well, I appreciate you getting on with me tonight. Um, Tell people how they can find you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You can find me on Instagram. I'm Mr. Will Hastings. Uh, You can find me on Amazon, obviously, and Audible. And my website is uh, tgrpress.org. You can join my mailing list there and stay updated on everything. Um, I I try to post on Instagram as much as I can uh, whenever there's a new update. um, And I, I really enjoy interacting with people there. Perfect. Thanks again for getting on with me. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast. Please subscribe, like, and share with your friends.